0: This afternoon is Proverbs chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that passage. We also read from the wisdom of our catechism as it again it summarizes the fifth commandment in Lord's Day 39 in question 104. You'll find that in the back of your book of praise on page 550 again Lord's Day 39. <clears throat> There we read, what does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother, and to all those in authority over me, submit myself with good obedience to their good instruction and discipline, and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings, since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, perhaps some of you like watching the uh, antique roadshow or at least I'm sure many of us are well aware of it. What's interesting about shows like that is that there are people who bring particular item, one that may have been passed down to them or something they have even found that they believe is very valuable but in some cases what they find out is that the value is only sentimental or personal, not actual. In some cases, people can be upset by that because they thought that maybe it was worth a thousand dollars or something of the kind, when in reality it's only worth a few dollars. On the other hand, a person may be going through an attic of a parent or grandparent or even in their own garage and and happen to, to find an item which they have underestimated or not understood its history and uh, they bring it to someone to be assessed, and they find it's worth quite a bit. Perhaps we may use these things as a picture or illustration of knowledge. Uh, Things that we know and believe or sometimes, in some cases, things, things that we think we know, and at least confess that we believe. Is that knowledge that we possess truly valuable to us? Do we know its worth? Can we we weigh it, as it were, in the scales compared to other things that we may know? If we apply this principle to the church, we might first think about doctrine, the doctrines or the statements of belief as found, for example, in the Apostles' Creed that we love, we've memorized. And that summarized for us so helpfully, everything that is a Christian church, we ought to know and believe. But isn't it true that when it comes to knowledge, we find it also flows over into application in terms of the commandments. In terms of the knowledge that the commandments of God impart to us. Things that should be truly valuable to us, but perhaps at times we take for granted And this would then not be an exception when it comes to the fifth commandment, which itself is not just a a do or do not, but behind it or at its foundation are laid various principles, a holistic worldview that undergirds the command to honor our father and our mother. And of course, And what is undergirding that, primarily, is the relationship between parents and their children. This guidance on parenting, of course, is passed down to us in many cases, isn't it? We have a certain tradition, a, a certain culture in which we were brought up that perhaps we take for granted. Which is good if we understand that it's something we should explore and even at times challenge biblically and godly as to whether or not those things are true. For ultimately, as we all know and believe, it is the scriptures that must guide or be that very foundation upon that parental life or parental relationship, or in this case, the knowledge that we want to impart unto our children. And so I've summarized the scriptures this afternoon in this way, the value of wisdom-filled parental instruction. I'd first like to point out to you that this value is wisdom-filled. It's not just parental instruction, bare or naked or alone. Now, it is true that we see that unbelievers in our day and age even lacking godly wisdom even lacking a desire to study the word or even a basic knowledge of it are able in many ways to raise their children right at least outwardly for that matter there are many believers in our day and age claiming to possess wisdom that seem to raise their children very poorly at least to us why is that well it may be that the the parents who claim to be believers are actually not following the scripture's instruction. But what about those who don't believe the scripture's instruction? Well, it's because they're following this the instruction that's written on their heart. As Paul tells us in Romans 1. It all goes back to God's revelation and the, the structures of, of family and the relationships that God has embedded into our DNA, we would say, or into the created order. But at the same time, we we see it as no coincidence, rightly so that the rate of broken families has risen in our culture with the tide of ungodliness and a departure from this biblical or godly wisdom. And thus, no matter where we are on the spectrum in terms of our understanding and knowledge, for all men, this is foundational. Not verse 8 and 9, but verse 7. That really summarizes the book of Proverbs, right? Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We express this or imply that we're going to gain more, but this is the beginning of knowledge. This is where it starts, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. That very statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, does not give us all the ins and outs of daily parenting, but it does tell us where to start. In all parental instruction, in terms of the expression of our relationship as parents with our children or as children with our parents, this ought to be our goal and intent, the fear of the Lord. And only with that in mind can we consider these three following points. Namely, the value of wisdom-filled parental instruction, first of all, its value when heard. And so in our text, we read, Listen. Listen my son, or in the New King James, my son, hear the instruction of your father. It's a relatively simple statement, isn't it? Children are to listen to their fathers, and it's implied their mothers as well by the second statement. After all, if one is to forsake the law of their mother, you would have had to have listened to and at least it intellectually in order to do that. But let's then make it that simple. Let's not make it that complicated. Verse 8, it's a command. It's not an option. And let's even make it simpler, take ourselves out of the equation, because it's God who's commanding us. Of course, it's Solomon who's saying it, but God was the one who granted to him the wisdom to say this. So boys and girls, do you listen? Do you hear your dad and mom? I think you know that this is very important and maybe even more important when you don't want to listen to them. Maybe when you're in trouble or you know you're going to be in trouble if you don't do something. But God says to you, boys and girls, listen to dad, listen to mom. And for parents, are your children listening? Sometimes we might say or think, either of someone else's child or maybe in frustration of her own, I can't do anything with them. They won't listen. They won't hear me. They appear to be stubborn and, and willful. That may be so. But ask yourself this be, as it were, introspective for a moment. Have you given them every reason to listen? What is wisdom? Well, how about what's the opposite of wisdom? Nagging is not wisdom. Now, it's necessary to remind our children of many things because their little minds forget or they move on to something else very quickly. But again, nagging is not wisdom. Reminded of what transpired between Samson and Delilah. She pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was, was vexed to death. There may be some exaggeration there, but, but her demeanor and her words around him just made him feel so awful. He couldn't take it anymore. She nagged him, as it were, to death. Now, of course, that was between a relationship between a man and a woman, but what about our children? Do we provoke them to wrath because we tell them what we want and vex them with that every day by day. Because our intention is not so much to point them to God, but to ourselves and to our honor. Or for that matter, to the obedience that we believe they owe to us. No, nagging is just plain annoying, but it's not wisdom discipline. It's not something that inclines the ear to listen and hear but rather to tune out. It becomes to be ba- it begins to be background background noise and doesn't or isn't really taken to heart. And brothers and sisters, I suppose many of us would say this is especially important for us or for our children as they get older. Because what we eventually want them to do is to do these things, namely understand wisdom and apply it to their own life on their own without us having to remind them all the time. To become an adult, a a fully functioning adult in the world. And the way that we get there, of course, and the path that we send them on is to tell them the who and the what and the when and the where and the why. In other words, it implies that we're instructing them, letting them know what we expect from them, but also why we do this, and for that matter, why you submit to your God and Father in heaven, as opposed to merely doing it because somehow God nags you every day from the pulpit or from his word, and especially the Ten Commandments. We know that's not how it works, but that's sometimes how we speak. It can be frustrating for us if our child, however, hears something at home, and in their own, as it were, wisdom, they question it, and as they get a little older, they go to someone else that they trust, maybe a friend, maybe a teacher, and they hear the same thing, and then they go home and tell dad and mom all about it, how they think that's really how we should live our life, and mom and dad are happy, but they kind of want to throw their hands up in frustration, and they say, weren't they listening? Why is that? Well, each parent has to ask themselves that question. But we can be thankful, because it takes time, in some cases, that now they've heard it. Now they understand for themselves, you see? And what is it that they understand? Well, Solomon talks about instruction in verse 8. And the word for instruction is chastening, correction, even discipline. But notice since we are to hear it, it is not the rod or the hand or even the time out that we're talking about. It is telling. It is speaking. And that's our duty as parents. We are reminded in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are to bring up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Similar idea. Discipline in terms of speaking. Letting them know about the consequences, not just of actions after all. We are Christians. The consequences of sin. The consequences of the sin of Adam and of the sinful nature that they've inherited from him. They need to hear that, not just from the pulpit. They need to hear that from mom and dad because mom and dad are sinners and they know it. They know they need a savior too. But brothers and sisters, what if they will not hear? And it is true, and with sorrow, there are parents who have children who have not listened and have gotten themselves into all sorts of trouble and bring many tears to our eyes. Well, Solomon tells us about that, doesn't he? In verses 10 to 14, he he warns this this gentleman, this young man whom he's instructing. Now, clearly, this is kind of the extreme of things in terms of what this young man might get involved with. It's sort of like growing up in a covenant home and going out to to join a gang and going to beat up people and and stealing from others. But the point is, is that that's that's where sin leads. And Maybe not all people go down that road, and certainly not all do. But the warning is there. That's part of the discipline and correction. That's why we tell our children about sin and its power. Now granted, no matter what we say to our children, and no matter how godly they are, and even how much they do listen, they are going to be tempted. But Solomon is here presenting to us an antithesis, isn't he? He says there's two voices that they're going to at least process in their minds. It's either going to be mom and dad, or it's going to be the world. One representing God's wisdom and authority, or that of the generation and culture around us. But they're both authorities, you see? And you know that's what the Fifth Commandment is all about. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism tells us. It gets to the heart of it. It's about authority. And so this is the point. If they don't hear anything from us, who are they going to listen to? Who is going to be going to be the authority in their life? If our children receive no instruction at home, where are they going to get it? If mom and dad don't teach them, who will be their teacher? You and I struggle with what are called parental rights today and how our government seems to be encroaching upon our responsibility as parents. And we have every right to be upset about that and to protest that and to write letters and do anything else we can to, to awaken our government to the fact that they're, they're stepping on our territory. But you see, that's not good enough to just do that. We actually have to do it in the home. That's our responsibility. We don't just say to the government, leave us alone and then do nothing. Because then you might as well be inviting the government in your home or some other influence to teach your children. They're either going to listen to you or they're going to listen to the world. So speak up, moms and dads. Well, second of all, the value of wisdom-filled parental instruction has value when obeyed, when it's obeyed. Listen to the second part of verse 8. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Or in another translation, which I used to prepare this sermon, do not forsake the law of your mother. And again, here's a parallelism, isn't it? In verse 8. Solomon is encompassing the teaching of both father and mother together in union, communion, with regards to their children. Now he uses the word law here, which is the word that we, we know as in Hebrew of Torah. It's a, it's a teaching, it's instruction again. But it's not the law of God. In this case, as Paul as he says, it's the law of your mother. Now, don't misunderstand me. By all means, we are to teach our children from God's word and not our own opinion. And ultimately, as we noted, God is the authority over every person, father, mother, and children. But the point is, is that the mother here, or the parent, is in a sense the law to their child, setting the standard. And presumably, of course, the standard is the scripture. But we are taking that law, and we're applying it to the situation, We're using wisdom, discretion, and prudence, some of the words that he uses in chapter 1, in order to take God's law. And it becomes our law because not only does it encompass our lives in terms of surrounding our house like a hedge, but it's in us as well, and it flows from us. And notice that it's in your home, brothers and sisters, not their home. The personal pronouns here are used. Your father, your mother. Now it goes without saying that a son or a daughter belongs to a particular family. They have a family name, they have a family history. And Solomon, in fact, is not addressing someone who is his his biological son. He's an apprentice, apprentice, if you will. My son is an affectionate term for a student, just as Paul calls Timothy, my son. So notice then what Solomon, of all people, is saying, you young man, you need to go to your parents, and you need to hear them, and you need to obey them. And that's remarkable. That's very remarkable, considering what the Bible says about Solomon. Namely, that God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding. The kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And now Solomon's sending them back to their parents. Not to mention the fact that he is a king. And in a certain sense, has greater authority than mom and dad. But he's saying in the home, mom and dad are the highest authority after God. Brothers and sisters, are you able to teach your children to obey? Do you know what they should obey? Do your children know what they should obey and why they should obey? In other words, do you have this wisdom? And again, it's about authority. You either have it from God or you don't have it from him. And it's from the world. Well, what do you do if you feel that you lack in terms of teaching your children about obedience? And I'm sure all of us do from one time or another. Well, what what does Solomon say in Proverbs 4? Get wisdom. Get understanding. He goes on, Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. That means you either have it or you don't. This applies to us as parents and as a parent. To be sure, the husband is the head of the home. But the, he is the head for his wife and for his children. Typically, parents will, our children will honor their parents, as the commandment says, because they heard it from both mom and dad, because it was consistently applied from both sources of authority. It's your instruction, it's your law, as Solomon says. Thus, it is each family's duty in terms of the relationship, the natural relationship that they have with their children to culture and nurture this obedience in the home first of all. And again, this is what we call teaching. We're all teachers, do you realize that? Whether we are a parent or even if we're a potential parent, we are teachers that earlier, A Lord's Day calls attention to the fact that each Christian is not only a king and a priest, but a prophet. We are all proclaimers of God's word in one fashion or another. And we may need help. And we may need to know where to get it. In fact, all of us at some time or another need that assistance. We may need to grow. But you, mothers, fathers... Are the teacher, and you don't need a Bachelor of Education. And here, I, I'm not advocating homeschooling, nor am I speaking against it. It's not really the point. This is about daily living, right? This is the milk. This is the nurture that our children are either going to grow up on, or if not, they're going to be deprived. Just like We give that good food to our children in terms of vitamins, minerals, balanced meals. So also in terms of this obedience by way of example and by way of instruction, again, of application of the law. Sometimes to thorny or difficult moral questions, which will probably increase in the next generation or two amongst us. We need to keep going back to God's word And remember our divine appointment as these teachers. And so we must never say to ourselves or to our children, I can't do it. Remember how the Bible speaks of one who is simple. That's not a good thing. Not necessarily foolish. Headlong throwing themselves into destruction A reprobate who who goes out and fills himself with the world, perhaps like the, the prodigal son. And I use reprobate not in the theological sense, but in terms of how he lives his life. But it is true that our children, when they're inculcated, when they receive that instruction, to a large degree, make it their own, don't they? That's the assumption of Solomon. And later on in Proverbs 13, verse 1, he says, a wise son heeds his father's instruction. He doesn't say a son heeds his father's instruction. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. A wise son. He's become wise. Because his father's been teaching him. But a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And why do we want our children to obey? terribly important question why do we want them to obey well as we said earlier but to flesh that principle out now there are certain consequences to this disobedience again it's found right in the context specifically in verse 15 and 16 he says do not go along with them nor do not set foot on their paths for their feet rush into sin they are swift to shed blood so they openly flagrantly break god's commandments They do so in terms of civil disobedience. Now they're living outside of the home, presumably, or at least have some kind of activity that's not monitored by their parents. They're old enough to to do their own thing. And who are they running around with? What are they doing? But then he says later on in verse 17 and 18, really all they end up doing is destroying themselves. What a grievous thing it is to see this. That's why our children, and now I talk to the boys and girls, you know when mom and dad tell you to do something, they want the best for you. They do it because they love you. They do it because they don't want you to see you do things that hurt you or hurt others, and more importantly, as it were, hurt God. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother that it may go well With who? With mom and dad? Well, sure, great. With the culture in which you live? Sure, yes. But it also says, may go well with you. Disobedience hurts ourselves. Because it's an attack upon the image of God. That's stamped upon our being. God warns us in his word. Boys and girls, and I say this to you with whatever age you might be, we are all children of our parents. That the natural consequence of continued, stubborn disobedience in childhood, in our development years, is disobedience throughout our entire life. And really what that means is that we have refused to disobey our Creator, and we will end up reaping his judgment, to be sure. But is there more than that? I trust you know there is more than that. It's a value to hear wisdom-filled parental instruction. It's certainly a value to obey it. But more important than even either of those is its value when blessed. Listen to verse 9 again from Proverbs 1. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. We can think of things like jewelry that a, a woman or young lady might put on themselves. It looks nice. It complements them, we say. It brings out their skin tone or other things that, that we may say of them. Or uh, it, looks, it matches their eyes, right? It fits them. Or even beautiful clothing. Or for a man, a a nice suit. It it looks good on them. It just kind of, in a sense, outwardly elevates them in the the eyes or others. Gives them a a different status. Sometimes even a a different outlook. Well, that's what we mean when we speak of wisdom-filled parental instruction when heard and obeyed. But also blessed by God not by man, but blessed by God, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's very attractive, isn't it? It makes our children look good in the best sense of that term. Appealing, beautiful in the eyes of others. And I mean especially the world that more and more will envy stable families that you and I have grown up in, that we should never take for granted. You may recall Joseph's experience in Genesis. He was honored. And we would say that he was an honorable man, but there was a time in his life Of course, when he was appointed to the right hand of Pharaoh, and we read that Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. In a sense, he had changed. He was a different person. He wasn't just a slave in the dungeon anymore or a servant in Potiphar's house. And when his brothers came to see him, they saw something that impressed them. They didn't even recognize him as their own brother. He had authority, but outwardly he had a certain dignity about him. One that he didn't have when he was their brother telling on them and getting them into trouble and just being basically annoying to them. And how they received him. Well, that's what we should want for our children. I don't mean necessarily to, uh, to become involved in government, though, of course, it's a very noble and good thing. That's, it's just an example. We are talking about spiritual things after all. But we do want our children to exceed. And we are proud when they do so, and rightly so. Exceptionally happy, and it should make us happy when they obey us. And become outstanding citizens and are working hard in school, always well-mannered and obedient. And now you think to yourself, is he talking about someone else's child? Okay, but sometimes we need to take stock or need to understand what we have or possess. Would you not say that what dad and mom has taught you has stuck with you? And to a large degree has made you the person you are today. I, I'm pretty sure most of us would say that. I know I would say that myself. Is that the person that you want your children to be? Not without sin, but striving to obey, to do the Lord's will. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? Even before what we want to see in and out of them, or what we want others to see, in fact... Listen to the description here. A graceful ornament, or the NIV, a garland to grace your head. may not be the best translation. The word graceful implies a a ballerina or perhaps a, a wealthy socialite who has airs and manners. But not necessarily grace as scripture presents it. It is in fact a wreath of grace. And it's not an actual physical thing. It's not a ring. It's not something that you wear even as much as that might help us to understand what Solomon's talking about, it's metaphorical. Do not the rest of the scriptures plainly tell us, after all, that in all obedience, obedience does not begin with obedience. Obedience begins with God's sovereign love bestowed upon us. Isn't that what Paul speaks of to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1? He says in verse 4, I thank God. I thank God when I call to remember, it's the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it is in you also. Well, you know as well as I do that that faith is not directed towards our parents or to any kind of statute or commandments we've agreed upon or the, the sorts of things that we should be teaching our children. It's faith in Christ. It's a gospel filled faith. It's a gospel endowed faith. It's a gospel foundation faith because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now there's the fifth commandment, isn't there? A holy calling? Good. But it's not according to works. And certainly not according to our works, he says, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Timothy was a believer by grace, Paul is telling us. Timothy believed because God had mercy upon him. Why? So that God could be glorified. Ted Tripp in his book Shepherding a Child's Heart challenges us in the following way. Who should be more relevant to your children? You know them, but he says you also know God. You have the word of God. You have struggled and battled to live the Christian life. You understand the disciplines and dangers of the Christian living. You understand the world in which they live. You understand the pressures they are now facing. You are committed to them and to God. There is no one Here's the important point. Who loves them more. Who is more deeply committed to them. Who accepts them unconditionally. There is no one who will be more honest or more tender. That's the way God was towards us, you see. We're sinners. We're totally depraved, at least as born in Adam. We can begin to do obedience, as the catechism earlier says, to be sure by the Holy Spirit but it's not an obedience that's credited to us as part of our justification, of our righteous standing before God. You know that you're a sinner, and you knew, and you know that you need God's grace. Well, you need to tell your children that too. Because even the things that they do that wholly disappoint us, and yes, yes, cause us to cry for them and pray for them, can be forgiven. You pray to see that faith when they're very, very young, almost as soon as they can speak and sing psalms in, in church and pray with us. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful gift God gives us to see that. Evangelism and missionary work is so important. Our churches need to support that. And what a wonderful thing it is to see people come to Christ. But we see that in our homes on a daily basis and that is all of God's grace. Because God says, I'm going to bless you as a family. Not just as individuals. Paul says what he says about God's grace. But he ties it to what? The instruction of mom. And then to, his, uh, uh, to Timothy's grandmother. Is that just a coincidence? Does it just sort of happen, you know? All of a sudden, God's grace came upon Timothy and not another. Well, we know God is sovereign in his bestowal of grace. We won't, uh, we won't even question that as reformed people for a moment because the scripture doesn't give us that room to question it. But it also doesn't give us room to question the fact that God says, I'm going to bless your families. I choose to do so because I want to love your family and I want to bless them. And it's not of you. And that gives us the motivation to do all the things that we talked about in the first two points and gives our children the foundation to do what? To, to listen and to obey. Why parental or wisdom-filled parental instruction? Because you are the parents And you possess this God-given wisdom. and Because you yourself then have experienced those blessings. And you want your children to have them too. It's a heritage. It's their inheritance. Because you're going to be dead someday. We all know that. But you're going to be dead someday. But like a precious thing that you put... Something you know that you have. And not up in the attic that you store it away. And it collects dust. And you forget about it. But something you look at every day, say on your mantle, or in a particular case, and you say, when I'm I'm dead, my child's going to get that. That's what you want for them. In all of these things. Because you're not willing to part with it for all the money in the world. You pass it on to them. And by God's grace, it will abide. Amen. Let us now sing in response to God's word, Psalm 78, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Psalm 78.